bring you greetings from the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight every prepared path. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We shall be moving in this broadcast to the fourth and final of the baptisms. That is water baptism, or what we call Christian baptism. Last week we looked at what baptism with fire seeks to achieve. We said that baptism with fire seeks to purge the Christian of carnality and worldliness. Secondly, it seeks to prune the Christian for more fruitfulness. Thirdly, it seeks to purify the Christian so that his service can be acceptable unto God. Fourthly, it seeks to prove the genuineness of the faith of the Christian in the Lord Jesus Christ and even the genuineness of the Christian's character and conduct. Fifthly, it seeks to perfect the Christian through suffering, bring him to the place of perfection through suffering. Sixthly, it seeks to pattern the Christian to be in conformity with Christ. The Bible says those whom God had predestined to come to him, he had also predestined that they be conformed to the image of Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, it seeks to present the Christian to God as one who is approved for divine service. We also noted that when we go through the process and come out as presentable unto God and approved, then God uses us for whatever it is that he wants to use us for. And after we've done that work, he passes us back again through the process of purging, pruning, purification, and so on and so forth. The ultimate thing is to bring the Christian to the place where he is approved of God, one who can now be used by God for every good work. We also noted that baptism with fire is not optional. We said that it is inevitable and that if you are a Christian, once you are born again, you are immersed into this baptism, regardless of where you are coming from. And this is how God builds us up, strengthens us, and makes us to be able to endure and overcome the enemy, regardless of what it is that the enemy may want to throw at us. Let's now move on to Christian baptism. Christian baptism is more commonly known as water baptism, and it is usually what is commonly referred to the most as baptism, when that word baptism is used in a generic sense. But when we want to start differentiating baptisms, then we mention baptism into the body, Holy Spirit baptism, baptism with fire, and Christian water baptism. Christian baptism is a spiritual truth demonstrated in a physical way, that is by the dipping of the person in the water and bringing him out. And it speaks of our disengagement from the world and from Satan's hold and our union with Christ and are being put into the church, the body of Christ. We've already spoken a lot about Christian water baptism. We said quite a bit at the beginning when we talked about baptisms in general, and a lot of what we said there is actually in reference to Christian baptism. But there are some salient issues concerning water baptism that we want to deal with in our study today and possibly next week. And I'm going to use a series of case studies to drive home the point we are trying to raise. Case one, a man and his wife, both Christians, take their eight-day-old baby to church to be baptized. The priest pours water on the head of the baby and declares, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody heralds, Amen. Question, is this Christian baptism? Case two, a teenage girl is about to travel overseas for studies. Her godly Christian mother is concerned that her daughter has not been baptized. So she shuffles her off to the baptismal class 
so that she can be baptized before she leaves the shores of Nigeria. The class is expedited as there are many other teenagers in that category. And they are all taken down to a river and baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Question, are these teenage children baptized? Case three, a young man of about 35 is about to get married, but then they discover that although he is a member of the church, he's yet to be baptized. And because of this, the church would not be willing to wed him and his sweetheart. So he quickly arranges to be baptized, and soon after, he is wedded to his sweetheart. Again, the question is, is he baptized? We take a fourth case. A lady had been attending a Pentecostal church. She's born again. She speaks in tongues. In other words, we would say she's baptized with the Holy Spirit. She has been baptized in water in this church. But then she gets married to a brother who is a member of another Pentecostal church and moves to her husband's church naturally. However, in her new church, she's not allowed to serve as a worker or in any capacity because she is not baptized in that church. She's told that in order to serve as a worker, she has to be baptized in that church. Question, was she not baptized in her former church? Is there a particular denomination that has been given authority by God to baptize? And as such, anyone baptized outside of that denomination is not baptized. These are issues that we will try to resolve. Now, when there are difficult matters in human society, usually you take the case to court and allow the courts through the judges and the justice system and the laws that have been put in place to adjudicate and come up with who is right or what is right and what is wrong. Every matter, scripturally speaking, for a Christian is settled by the word of God. The Bible says, at the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be settled. And those two or three witnesses are actually, for our purpose, scriptural texts that we can give interpretation to. And I have to note this. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, it says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. So we're not subjecting scripture to any private interpretation. We're going to allow scripture to interpret itself. In verse 21, it says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the people who spoke or wrote the scriptures were moved by the Holy Spirit and they documented what it was that the Holy Spirit wanted them to document. So in addressing some of these questions, we'll go to the scriptures and see what the Bible tells us. Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 13 to verse 16. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased. Now, there's a parallel scripture of this in Luke chapter 3, and I'd like to read a few verses there. I want to use scripture to marry scripture. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 23, just up at the A part of verse 23. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. Jesus' baptism is not the same as John's baptism. John was baptizing sinners unto repentance. The Bible makes it clear that the Lord Jesus Christ was without sin. So when he came to that baptism, John's opposition was in the fact that you are asking to be baptized. You don't need my baptism because my baptism is for sinners. You are not a sinner. I myself need to be baptized by you. And Lord Jesus Christ said, no, allow it to be so because that is what the Father wants. The Father wants us to do it like this. And then we see the Holy Spirit descending upon him and we hear the voice of the Father speaking his approval of him. Now, the question then is, why was it John? who was baptizing Jesus, if John's baptism was not the baptism that Jesus Christ went through? The answer is very simple. The Lord Jesus Christ could not baptize himself. Somebody had to baptize him. And who better than John, who had been baptizing others? And I think we've dealt with this issue before, that the Father was going to announce him at this baptism and had given John a sign that the person upon whom you find the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon that person, that is the Messiah. And John testified that when I baptized him, this is what happened. So the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ that John administered is not John's baptism unto repentance. Rather, it is a precursor of Christian baptism today. That's important to note because Christian baptism is administered on people who are born again, not on sinners. Is that instead of people who have declared faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation and their deliverance. We also know that the Lord Jesus Christ was 30 years old when he was baptized. He was not baptized as a child. He was presented as a child, but he was not baptized. Even at the age of 12, when he was in the temple, the issue of baptism was not discussed. So the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized at the time when he was going to begin his ministry at the age of 30. And he became a forerunner of so many things one of which was Christian baptism. The next thing I want us to note in what we have discussed that it was his decision. He went to John. He was not shuffled to anywhere. He was not dragged to anywhere. He went himself to John and presented himself to be baptized. And John did the baptism. It was not his earthly parents who dragged him and said, it is time for you to be baptized. He went because he knew it was time for him to be baptized. Another thing that we want to note is that he was immersed in the water. Because the Bible talked about him coming out of the water, which means he went into the water and now he's coming out of the water. These are very crucial points that we need to note. He was immersed in water as the name baptism would suggest. Then we also note the presence of the Godhead. He was there being baptized. Then the Holy Spirit came and the Father announced him. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. We're going to use what we're discussing now to answer a few questions in this broadcast, and by the grace of God, next week we shall answer a few more questions. In Acts chapter 8, reading from verse 26 to 38, is the story of how Philip, who had gone to Samaria fleeing from the persecution, had started a church, and after a while the Holy Spirit now asked Philip to go to the desert road. And when he got there, he saw a high official from Ethiopia returning from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And the Holy Spirit told him to join himself to that carriage. 
as he went towards the carriage, he heard the man reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And so he asked the man, do you understand what you're reading? The man said, how can I understand unless somebody teaches me? And so Bible says, beginning at that point, he began to preach Christ to him. So let's take the story from there. Verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? This Ethiopian eunuch may have heard about baptism while he had gone to Jerusalem. So he could associate baptism with the body of water. And as they were riding in the desert, they saw an oasis, a body of water. And he said, look, there is water. What is it that is stopping me from being baptized? Now, in some translations, verse 37 is missing. But here it is put in there. And it's a good thing that is there. It says, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Now, this is crucial. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's Savior, then you may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38. So he commanded the chariots to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Again, we see immersion taking place here. And he baptized him. So what do we find here as we look at these things? We find that before this man could be baptized, Philip insisted that he make a confession of what he believed about the Lord Jesus Christ. The confession of faith in Christ is itself the result of our heart conviction about the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord or the Son of God and as Savior or the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ had asked his disciples who men were saying he was. And then he now asked them, who do you say I am? Matthew 16 from 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are Lord. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This passage of scripture, especially verse 18, has been misconstrued to mean that the Lord Jesus Christ was saying that he was building his church upon Peter as a rock. No, Peter means a small rock. And he was saying, you are a small rock, but there is a major rock, like the rock of Gibraltar, an immovable rock. So he's saying, upon this immovable rock. And what is that rock that is immovable? The truth that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah. Upon this truth, I will build my church. It is this truth that brings you into the church. It is the confession of this truth that brings you into the church of the living God. In John chapter 20, John makes a very, very interesting statement. Might I even call it a bold statement. In John 20 verse 30, and 31. John writes, talking of John the apostle now, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It is this believing that is very critical to water baptism. In Romans chapter 10, we'll now tidy this up. Romans chapter 10, let me read it from verse 8. It says, and what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, what is the Bible telling us here? The Bible is telling us, simply put, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and that is the Son of God, then make a confessional statement of that. You are born again. It's as simple as that. That is the basis on which you are baptized with water. That is the basis on which Christian baptism takes place. So with this background, let's now answer some of the questions arising from the cases that we've enumerated earlier. We may not be able to take all this week. We'll now take whatever we need to deal with next week. So the first thing that we want to note here is that you must be born again before you can be baptized in water. In other words, before Christian baptism can be administered on you, you must first be born again. That automatically negates infant baptism because no infant is born again. Now, you might go with the argument and say, but they are babies. They've never done anything before. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory. The seed of Adam is in every human being. In that child as well. So that child has come into this world with sin. The difference between every child that is born of a man and a woman and the Lord Jesus Christ is this. The Lord Jesus' conception is considered a holy conception because no man was involved. The seed of Adam was not involved. If the seed of Adam was involved, then would he have had sin. But he was born sinless because he was born of the Holy Spirit. When we become born again, we become born of the Holy Spirit. And so sin is removed. Let me read 1 John chapter 3 from verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, that is Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. He was not born with sin. And he did not sin throughout his ministry. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. If you have relationship with him, you will not sin. That is, you will not knowingly sin. You cannot knowingly, deliberately, consciously sin. It doesn't mean that you will not occasionally sin, but you will not be deliberate. Somebody put it this way. He said there's a difference between falling into sin and swimming in sin. When you are born again, you should not be swimming in sin. You may, however, fall into sin. However, you will deal with it. If, for example, you are walking on the streets and your shoe steps on poop, animal poop or whatever it is, the first thing you want to do is to get rid of the poop. You cannot be proudly taking such poop under your shoes into an environment. Whatever the environment is, you will not do that. The first thing you want is to have it cleaned out. So it is the same thing. When you accidentally fall into sin, the first thing you want to do is to deal with the sin. So you cannot be a Christian and consciously, knowingly sin. And when you unconsciously sin, and the Holy Spirit is always there to tell you that this is a sin, you will immediately deal with that in the place of repentance. So that's what verse 6 is saying. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, that is Jesus Christ, is righteous. Verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into our lives, he comes to destroy every work of Satan, every sin and every condemnation that Satan has brought upon us. In verse 9, it says, whoever 
has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So the Lord Jesus Christ was born of God. The seed of God was in him and so he could not sin. When you and I get born again, we are born of the Spirit of God. So the seed of God is in us. Put differently, the DNA of God is in us. The DNA of God cannot sin. So if indeed the DNA of God is in us, we cannot sin. So an infant that is not born of the Spirit of God, and there is none apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Every child that is born is born of a man and a woman. So the seed of Adam, the seed of sin is in that child. That is why as children grow, nobody teaches them to lie, they lie. Nobody teaches them to be violent, they are violent. Nobody teaches a child to steal, they steal. They come up with behaviors that you'd be wondering. But this is a child. Why? The DNA of sin is in that child. So baptizing a sinner is not baptism. And that negates infant baptism automatically. It negates shuffling a teenage child to go and be baptized. When that child has not yet confessed Jesus Christ with understanding. Because there must be conviction in the heart. Another thing that this aspect brings to light is that church attendance is not equated to being born again. You can attend church all you care. It does not mean that you are born again. To be born again is a conscious, deliberate action arising from the word of God, which you have heard, and you are convinced beyond doubt that indeed Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he is the Savior of the world and that you are a sinner in need of that salvation. This is what marks the Christian from any other person because they don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. They don't believe that he came to save mankind from sin. The moment you believe that, you are qualified for baptism. Number two, you will notice in the course of the case studies, I mentioned the issue of the recital of what is commonly known as the baptismal formula that is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is something we are going to discuss next week in some depth. Merely reciting it does not put upon that person the significance of baptism. Just because somebody said, in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, upon you, put you in water and whatever, does not mean that you are baptized. Like we said earlier, the prerequisite for baptism is number one, you must be born again. Maybe for some of us, again, it's a bit of a problem. So let's do some quick scripture search. In John chapter 3, I'll just read from verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why would the Lord Jesus Christ be talking about this thing when the person has just come to boost his ego as it were? Why would he be telling him about being born again? Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born of water, this means born naturally, and the spirit, born spiritually, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Let me explain it this way. You are either born twice and you die once and go into heaven. Or you are born once, in which case you will die twice and you go to hell. When you are born naturally, that's the first time you are born. The second birth, as being born again is sometimes referred to, is a spiritual birth or a spiritual rebirth. 
It is at that rebirth that the Spirit of God puts in us his DNA and we become sons of God. Again, John chapter 1. I'm using scriptures to my scripture because we want to make this point very clear. So there will be no ambiguity in what we're saying. In verse 11 of John chapter 1, it says, He, that Jesus Christ, came to his own, that is to Jews, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, the word received there also could mean welcomed or accepted gladly. In fact, somebody said, as many as received him with open arms in a violent manner, as in dragging him in, as took him in. To them, he gave the right or the power, the authority, or the privilege to become, to be made children of God, to those who believe in his name. So for you to receive him, you must first have believed. It is the manifestation of that faith that we see in your receiving him. In verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is nothing human about the new birth. A pastor cannot give birth to a Christian. No. He can preach, he can lead you in prayers, but the birth is something that is spiritual. It is supernatural. Another terminology for being born again is to be born from above. So you are born from above. You must be born from above. You must be born not just of water, but of the spirit. That is when you now qualify for baptism in water or Christian baptism. You must confess the lordship and the fact that Christ is the Savior. You must confess him. Your faith in him must translate into a public confession, which, by the way, is what water baptism seeks to do. It's not something that is done in secret. It's something that is done in the open. It's a public confession that he is Savior and he is your Lord. Now, there are implications here. If he is your Lord, then you cannot quarrel with him. You cannot argue with him. Nobody argues with a Lord. It is in our time that we have brought in democracy, We have brought in freedom that is no freedom. And we argue with everybody and anybody. We argue with the elders. We argue with people who know more than us. We claim that we know more than them. We claim that we know more than the elderly and so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, we know nothing. The Bible speaks about standing before the hoary head. It speaks of the wisdom of the hoary head. No matter how strong a youth is, he cannot have the kind of wisdom that the elders have. And for a believer... The wisdom that the believer has comes from God. So it's important that we recognize that the moment you say Christ is Lord, anything he says, you do. Anything he says. The difference is that here, you are not a slave that is forced to do it. No, it's a slave who is doing it willingly. You put yourself in the hands of Christ willingly. So it's not enough to say Jesus is Lord, and yet you are living contrary to his word. If he is Lord of your life, then you will live according to his word. If he is your savior, then you know that your sins have been forgiven. Many people want a Jesus who is a savior, but not a Jesus who is Lord. If that is your case, I can guarantee you that you are not baptized, even if you have been put in water. Water baptism is for people who believe Christ to not just be savior, but more importantly, to be Lord. That's why he said in John chapter 8, I think verse 36 or so, whom the son shall set free is free indeed. Many people are going for deliverance over and over and over again. And we have to ask the question, who is the one setting them free? It cannot be the son, because the Bible makes it clear. Whom the son shall set free is free indeed. If the Lord has set you free, you are free indeed. So that again tells us that shuffling your teenage children to be baptized is not baptism. When they have not yet entered into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that comes through confession resulting from conviction and now resulting in conversion. 
if your child wants to leave home and you want that child to be taken care of by God, it is not shuffling that child and dunking the child in water that will do it. No, you want to turn water baptism into a talismanic thing. No, that's not what it is about. Talk to your child. Inform that child about the power of God and how the power of God can bring him and save him from sin and the passions thereof. Preach Christ to your child. Let your child receive the word of God. Ruminate over it. One day that child will come to you and say, Dad, Mom, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Not because they want to please you now, but from within. And when that takes place, then you know that that child is in the hands of God. The child can go and do baptism when they get over there. They can do it here before they go, as may be available. But one thing is important. That child has put his life firmly in the hands of Almighty God. So, reciting the baptismal formula does not confer on anybody Christian baptism. That baptismal formula will only take effect if the person has already been born again, has confessed Christ. In Nigerian universities, when you get into the first year in university, doing your registration, they take your results and everything from you that you're coming with and they file them away. And then you go through university. When you get to the end of your university education and you're about to go for national youth service, people discover that they go for what is called clearance. During the clearance, you'll be amazed. They now come up with the school certificate results you brought. Because whilst you were going through classes, they actually sent those results back to Y for verification. It is at that point that they will tell you that the result you entered with was fake. Therefore, you did not graduate. Meanwhile, you had spent four years. You had passed those exams. But the prerequisite was fake, was false. In the same way, you may have gone through baptism, but the prerequisite of salvation was not there. So you were not baptized. It's as simple as that. The university will now tell you, if you must get a degree at all, you have to go back and retake school. That is, if they don't hand you over to the police for forgery. You have to go back and retake school certificate. Can you imagine after spending five, four or five years in university? So there is no need to say you are baptized when you have not given your life to Christ. To say you are baptized when you have not confessed Christ. Dunking you in water doesn't mean anything. Like one man of God said, if you are not born again and you go for baptism, you are just a sinner who went into water and you came out a wet sinner. Nothing changed. That takes me to the third thing we want to discuss on this subject. Church membership is not synonymous with Christian baptism. You're being a member of a church, or a local denomination or local church or local assembly or whatever, does not mean that you have been baptized. Christian baptism is the public declaration of the union of the fellow being baptized with Christ and his church, not a denomination, not a local assembly. So once you are baptized, based on the prerequisites we've mentioned, you were born again before you were baptized. You confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and lived in that confession with a heart conviction. Then you are baptized. That baptism puts you in the body of Christ. Remember when we discussed baptism into the body? We spoke of the Holy Spirit putting us in the body of Christ globally and in a local assembly locally. Water baptism is about entering into the body of Christ globally. Therefore, there is no denomination that can arrogate to itself the authority to baptize somebody and say, only our baptism is right. It is unscriptural. It's unbiblical. It has nothing to do with God. 
Let me put it this way. Church membership. It's like attending a church and listening to the word of God. But I've not really decided to submit to Christ. So even if I'm pushed to go forward, it doesn't mean anything to God. But in the course of my sitting down in church every Sunday, I hear the word of God. I've been thinking about this. I've been ruminating. I've been chewing on it. And I say, today is the day. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I have made a conscious decision to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I may be a member of that local assembly, but I am not a part of the body of Christ until I am born again. And then when I now do my Christian baptism, I am formally welcomed into the church, the body of Christ. My union with Christ is now there. It's like a man and a woman, they want to get married and they are having discussions about their future together and everything. It doesn't make them married. Even if they engaged in premarital sex, it does not make them married. It doesn't confer upon their marriage. There has to be the marriage ceremony where there are witnesses to observe and to say, we've seen you joined, then you have a marriage. In the same way, going to church and hearing the word of God, but not yet deciding for Christ, not yet deciding that he is your Lord. You may have decided that he's your savior, but not yet deciding that he's your Lord. You are still in premarital discussions. You are not yet married to Christ. The day he becomes savior and Lord, you are now married to Christ. And there can be no divorce in that matter. Just like in the physical. Once you are married to a woman, there can be no divorce. So it is. Baptism is that bond that binds the Christian and Christ within the context and the ambit of the church, global and local. Church membership must therefore never be confused with Christian baptism. So the fact that you're a member of a church does not mean that heaven recognizes you. The church pastor may recognize you. He may even acknowledge that you are a tither and a giver, a supporter, a hand lifter, a destiny supporter, whatever terminologies pastors are using today to trick people into bringing money their way. The pastor can give you those accolades. You may even be conferred with the title of deacon, pastor, bishop, senior elder, senior evangelist. Heaven has not recorded you yet until you regard Christ as not just Savior, but also Lord. You have made that confession from your mouth. Baptism is now what you do publicly to tell the whole world, like we mentioned much earlier, I'm through with Satan. I'm through with the world. I am now a part of Christ and his church. These are some of the things that we've been able to discuss. By the grace of God, next week, we shall be discussing the issue of immersion or sprinkling of water. If you sprinkle water on somebody, is it baptism? Does that count as baptism? We shall look at that. What is the acceptable age at which a person can be baptized? Is there a minimum age? We are going to discuss that. From what we've seen, it has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with faith in Christ. Then we are going to spend some time discussing the baptismal formula to baptize somebody in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's a scripture I should have read, which I did not. So let me read it now before we draw the curtain. In Mark chapter 16, when the Lord Jesus Christ commissioned the disciples to go out and preach. This is Mark's version of what we call the Great Commission. From verse 15, And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, you see, he who does not believe, you see that there's no attachment of baptism there. But if you say you believe, then you must be baptized. So baptism is not optional, but it is something that is open to you to do. We said 
that Jesus Christ went to his baptism voluntarily. He was not forced. So it is expected that you will go for baptism voluntarily. You will go to your local assembly and ask the pastor, Sir, I've been born again. I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior. I believe he's the Lord. I'm trying my best to walk with him. I've submitted myself to the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, but I'm yet to be baptized in water. Can you please arrange for me to be baptized in water? You can do that. Question may arise. What of somebody who just believed and died? If you are unable to be baptized before you pass on to glory and you have been born again, that is, you have believed that Jesus is Savior and he is Lord, you have made that confession and then you die before it is time for you to be water baptized, you will still be in eternity with Christ. Because there was a willingness to do it, it's just that the opportunity or the time was not available before you died. For example, the thief on the cross, was not baptized. The Lord assured him, this day you will be with me in paradise. He died and went into paradise because he believed. But where you have an opportunity to be baptized whilst you are breathing and you rebuffed every such opportunity, my brother, you are not a part of the body of Christ. You don't even have a union with Christ himself. So when you leave this world, and I'm not trying to bring any scare tactics, it is the truth from the word of God. You will not be with Christ. As we prepare to have this other discussions next week. I want to plead with you that if for any reason you are a member of a church, you are attending church service, you have been listening to the word of God, and you have not yet made up your mind to surrender your life to Christ and make him your Lord and receive him as your savior, I will urge you do it now. Pick up your phone, call your pastor, call a Christian friend. If you go to our sites, you would see how to get in touch with us. You can call us or send us a message We'll link up with you and we'll pray with you. Otherwise, you can go to a local assembly near you and surrender your life to Christ. And then begin to walk with him and seek to be baptized. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you are yet to be baptized, go to your pastor. Tell him that you are yet to be baptized and that you want to be baptized. He can arrange for you to be baptized as soon as it's practical. Don't rebuff the opportunity to be baptized. Until next week, God bless you.